The ultimate war hero, Alvin Cullum York, was born in the Tennessee mountains on December 13, 1887. His blacksmithing and farming family included seven other boys and three girls, all sharing a one-room cabin. York's education ended around the third grade, which wasn't unusual in that place and time. Mr. and Mrs. York taught their third son what was most necessary in life, how to handle a plow, a rifle, and a Bible. Nevertheless, Alvin strayed from the fold during his youth. He said, In my early days I got in bad company, and I broke off from my mother's and father's advice, and got to drinking and gambling and playing up right smart. I had a powerful lot of fistfights. I never was whipped, except when my mother and father whipped me. When York realized he was breaking his mother's heart, and he had no chance of winning his beloved Miss Gracie Williams the way he was, he gave up that lifestyle. Another life change quickly followed. Under the influence of evangelist M. H. Russell, York became a Christian. York had made his peace with his family, his sweetheart, and God, but the world was not at peace. Alvin received a notice to register for the draft in June 1917. As a Christian, he believed killing was wrong. As a York, he remembered his proud heritage, his ancestors who had fought in the Revolution, Civil War, and Mexican-American War. He recalled, I didn't know what to do. I'm telling you there was a war going on inside me, and I didn't know which side to lean to. I was a heap bothered. It is a most awful thing when the wishes of your God and your country get mixed up and go against each other. One moment I would make up my mind to follow God, and the next I would hesitate and almost make up my mind to follow Uncle Sam. I wanted to follow both, but I couldn't. They were opposite. I wanted to be a good Christian and a good American, too. For two days, Alvin York went up on the mountainside to pray. He came to realize that in order to be a man of peace, he first had to help win this war. In the winter of 1917-18, York was sent to Company G, 328th Infantry, 82nd Division, armed with his weapons of war and a New Testament that he read five times through while serving his country. He said, it was my rock to cling to. In the fall of 1918, only weeks before the war ended, then-Corporal York found himself in France's Argonne Forest, one of the war's deadliest arenas. On October 7, 1918, rain and deadly German shells fell upon Corporal York and his battalion in the Argonne Forest. The enemy's machine guns were too far away to be used against them, but airplanes buzzed overhead like hornets. Artillery fire killed and wounded dozens of York's compatriots. The woods reminded the strapping redhead of Revelation's abomination of desolation. His simple, quiet cabin in Tennessee's Wolf Valley seemed far away indeed. Orders came during the night for his company to take Hill 223. Zero hour would come just before daylight at six o'clock. 
The men were told to go over the top of Chattel Chahari Hill, seize control of it, then advance across the valley to the ridges on the other side. Their objective? The strategically important Decauville Railroad. At 6.10, the Americans went over the hill and advanced toward the valley. Suddenly, the Germans turned their machine guns on them from three directions. I could see my pals getting picked off until it almost looked like there was none left, wrote York in his diary. Our losses were very heavy. Hundreds died within minutes. The Germans soon outnumbered them ten to one. Our boys just went down like the long grass before the mowing machine at home, he said. Finding himself with no artillery support and the attack fading, York knew the machine gun nest had to be taken out. He and the remaining men quickly decided their best chance was a surprise attack on the Germans. York said, We opened up in skirmishing order and flitting from brush to brush, quickly crossed over the hill and down into the gully behind. Then we suddenly swung around behind them. At that point, they saw a few Germans with red crosses on their armbands. York called them to surrender, fearing they would give the Americans away. As the chase ensued, York and the others jumped across a small stream and there encountered up to 20 Germans at their breakfast. Only the Major was armed. They threw up their hands in surrender. I guess they thought the whole American army was in their rear, York said, and we didn't stop to tell them anything different. Now some Germans up on the hill started shooting at them, killing six and wounding another three. With just eight men left in his unit, York became the ranking officer. He recalled the bitter scene, with machine guns spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me something awful. You never heard such a racket in all of your life. I didn't have time to dodge behind a tree or dive into the brush. I didn't even have time to kneel or lie down. The other seven men were too busy guarding their German prisoners to get off any shots, but York did. He put his mountain training to good use as he started firing against roughly 30 machine guns. In order to sight me or to swing their machine guns on me, the Germans had to show their heads above the trench, he said, and every time I saw a head, I just touched it off. All the time I kept yelling at them to come down. I didn't want to kill any more than I had to. Just then, six Germans jumped out of the trench and charged York with fixed bayonets. An officer fired at him from behind. York said he changed to the old automatic and just touched them off too. I touched off the sixth man first, then the fifth, then the fourth, then the third, and so on. I wanted them to keep coming. I didn't want the rear ones to see me touching off the front ones. I was afraid they would drop down and pump a volley into me. Finally, the German major yelled that if York stopped shooting, the machine gunners would too. When he agreed, the officer blew a whistle, and the men surrendered. York had captured well over 100 prisoners. He was deeply concerned about getting them safely to the American lines. There were so many of them, he said. There was danger of our own artillery mistaking us for a German counterattack and opening up on us. At last, York ran into the relief squad sent to help his company. 
He took the POWs to the battalion post of command. Lieutenant Woods of the Intelligence Department asked in amazement, York, have you captured the whole German army? The quiet corporal answered, a tolerable few. York was ordered to take the prisoners to regimental headquarters and from there back to Division HQ. There they would be turned over to the military police. The group faced constant shell fire, so York hurried them along to get them to safety. There was nothing to be gained by having more of them wounded or killed, he said. They had surrendered to me, and it was up to me to look after them, and so I did. When York reported to Brigadier General Lindsay, he said, Well, York, I hear you have captured the whole German army. No, sir, York responded. I only got 132. York biographer John Perry has said, He is a hero because he had the moral foundation to be a hero. Certainly he had his faults and shortcomings. Even heroes are fallen creatures. But his life was guided by unshakable absolutes founded on the teachings of the Bible, which taught him what was right and taught him his responsibility in seeing that right was done, regardless of the sacrifice. I'm Rebecca Price Janney with Great Stories in American History.